Welcome to Chamberlain University's MSN CourseCast. Each episode in our series will introduce and discuss key concepts from the modules in one of your courses. These episodes are intended to enhance your learning when you're on the go, so feel free to listen to them anytime and anywhere. Aloha, everyone, and welcome to our third podcast for NR520. I'm really excited to to be with all of you today. I have a wonderful guest that's joining me, and I'm excited for you all to meet her. Again, my name is Dr. Tracy Stogner, and our podcast today is going to cover ethics and values and their importance to the nursing profession. And we'll also be discussing some ethical dilemmas that have happened to myself and Dr. Thompson and how those dilemmas can impact the nurse and how they impacted us in our practices. So I'm really excited today to have Dr. Mindy Thompson with me as our guest for our Learning on the Go. So I'm just going to have Mindy introduce herself to all of you and say hello. So Mindy, would you mind introducing yourself and telling the students a little bit about you and your background? Sure, yeah. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. So as Tracy said, I'm Dr. Mindy Thompson. I have been a nurse for about 20 years now. I've been teaching for about 10, but before that, I worked in med surge background, a lot of home health and hospice, and actually co-authored a textbook where we have a chapter talking about values and ethics and different types of ethics. Any nurse, if you've been a nurse for any length of time at all, you have dealt with some ethical issues and some various results of those ethical issues. So this is definitely a great conversation to have. I think so, too. And as we get started, uh, I think maybe just giving a definition of what ethics is. Ethic can actually be defined, according to, to Butts and Rich in 2014, the study of ideal ways of being and behavior. So again, that's the study of ideal ways of being and behavior. But, you know, what does that really mean? The definition to me seems to describe that it's referring to, you know, best practices in who we are and how we behave as individuals. Um, But for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to look specifically at ethics in regards to the profession of nursing. So before we even start talking about some of that, values and beliefs is a big thing that forms sort of um, our own uh, well belief system in itself and in who we are. And a value is defined as a person's principles or standards of behavior, one's judgment of what is important in life. And then a belief is defined as something that is accepted, considered to be true, or held as an opinion. And I know this has happened to me, but values and beliefs can change over time. You know, as one engages in, you know, professional development, I, I don't know if you've had that experience, Mindy, that certainly has happened to me as I've matured over my yeah. life. And, and just, you know, we all strive to be better humans, better human beings. And so, you know, the same beliefs I held as a, a 16-year-old are certainly different than today as I hold a woman <laughs> in my 50s. So, right. um so that that's something I think that's important to consider. And your values and beliefs, though, influence your thoughts and decisions and your actions and how you can affect how you interact with others. So as nurses, it can impact that quality of care service. Um, So Mindy, just kind of wanting to bring you in here in this conversation, why do you feel ethics and values 
are so important to the nursing profession specifically? Well, I think, you know, in addition to the laws that we have to follow as nurses, they ultimately guide our practice. One of the key words I think you had in your definition of ethics was ideal, right? So Mm -hmm. my ideal of what an ideal or idea of what an ideal situation would be may be different from yours. And like you said, that comes from our values and really our cultures and our Mm -hmm. life experience. And I think that's where ethical dilemmas come about is there's a conflict between the value and the ethic. But what we see as our values and following those is what lets us sleep at night, right? Because we know we've fulfilled our duty to our patients and we've done everything we can to make those lives better. And Mm -hmm. so it's our daily task to embody our values and use those to serve our patients and their families. I agree, and that leads right into what I wanted to share, too, because I I want us to share our experiences, and I know those of you listening to this podcast have your own experiences where you've had some struggles just with dilemmas and wondering, you know, struggling with what is right, and that's the thing with ethical situations. Oftentimes, there isn't a right or wrong answer. You know, it's... Mm -hmm. Just the values and beliefs that you have form what you think would be the right thing to do. And sometimes that can conflict with what the agency or physician or facility decides to do. And that was something that kind of happened to me in my practice. This is actually many years ago, but it's one of those ones, you know how you have those experiences that just really stick out in your mind. When I was a nurse, actually, I was getting my master's and I was finishing up my clinical nurse specialist in mental health, which is what I have. And I had my own practice for a long time. And I still volunteer and tend to patients with mental health issues at our local college here. But I had been called in to consult on a case. I was specializing kind of in consultation liaison, and it was a really complicated case. It was a family that was taking care of their mother, who was this matriarch of the family, was really important in their culture. The mothers were very important. I wish I could remember the exact culture, and I can't. I remember it somewhere maybe in Micronesia, one of the Pacific Islands. I can't remember the exact culture it was. It was so long ago. But something that was very important to them is that she had, she'd been very ill and they brought her in and figured out that it was cancer. But the family knew the diagnosis before the mother. And so they stopped the physician and said, we do not want you at all saying that word around our mother or telling her that she has that. Because if you do in our culture, that word because she spoke the traditional language, that word is a death sentence. And if you say that word, she will give up. She will stop eating. She will stop drinking. And that's the end for us. She Mm -hmm. won't try any treatments. She won't do anything. And so that was such a struggle because I really felt for the family. And I was meeting with the family and trying to advocate for them. But at the same time, the physician was very firm. She's going to need treatment for this. She has to have full disclosure and informed Mm -hmm. consent and she has to know what she has in order to agree to these treatments and so it was it was such a difficult time and and I really felt bad for the family because I knew if he did what he really felt strongly about and I understood his position as well you know I totally understood that the doctor's position and he did not feel comfortable and I was like well Mm -hmm. can we just come up with another word can we just say two say something else And, and it ended up they made the decision to go ahead and say the word cancer. And it was interesting because when you work with someone in a hospital and they're discharged, you, you don't always get to find out 
what happened in this situation. So I never did get to find out. To this day, I wonder. But I really struggled. And I felt so sad because I'm like, well, this doctor just basically doomed this patient to death at the same time. Yeah. He was following his own ethical values and beliefs and felt that he could not, in all good conscience, give the treatments that she needed without her knowing fully what she had. Yeah. Well, and legally, too, you know, like you said, yes. the informed consent. Yeah. Yes, exactly. The legal issues mm-hmm. of the informed consent. I just wish he could have thought mm-hmm. of a different word. <laughs> like I said, can't yeah. say yeah. tumor or something? Yeah. Do we have to say the word cancer? And, uh, but, you know, it was just one of those things. And I'll always remember it because it charged a lot of emotions. The family was extremely upset. And that's one of the reasons why I was called in is to sort of quiet the situation and try and diffuse some of the anger. Because, you know, when you're going Mm -hmm. through a loss like that anyway, anger is one of the stages of grief. And so, you know, sometimes that even surfaces before any of the Mm -hmm. other cases like this. So it was a real struggle. It still sticks out in my mind today. And I just, you know, I've felt like I should have done more, could have done more. I just remember going through that struggle in my mind. And I know we're going to talk about when we get to the end here a little bit more about the moral distress that individuals can go through when they're facing ethical dilemmas. But can you think of an experience yourself that you've had in your, I mean, in working in hospice, I'm sure you've you've come across. But would you mind sharing with the students something that you've had and gone through? Sure. And I think There's lots and lots of examples, particularly when you're talking about death and dying, right? That just breeds Mm -hmm. ethical dilemma, whether it be in the Mm -hmm. ICU setting, home setting, wherever you are, it's just kind of a breeding ground for those. So I thought of another example that students might not readily think of, but I had a group of nursing students one time. We were doing clinicals in a nursing home, and there was a young gentleman, probably in his early 30s, and if I remember right, he probably had like MS or something like that. So it's physically debilitated in a nursing home being cared for. And so I was working with students on medication administration and came to this patient and he was on um, female hormones. So he was taking estrogen. Maybe it was just estrogen. But long story short is it was a form of chemical castration. And the reason why this patient was being given the hormones was because he had become physically and sexually aggressive to staff and other residents. So, you know, when I talk with students about chemical castration, does the patient consent to chemical castration? No, he really didn't know that he was taking estrogen. And so on the surface, you think that is absolutely terrible. You should not do that to somebody without Mm -hmm. their permission. However, when they're in a community setting, such as a nursing home, and he's posing a physical risk to other people, does that then make it okay to give them those things? you know, whether he knows or not, so that he's wow. not a safety risk to other people around him. And so that is an ethical dilemma and something that you might go home at night kind of racking your brain with of we shouldn't be doing this to somebody. You know, there's currently some states looking at passing laws of if you're a child sex offender, then legally they're going to chemical castration. So it's kind of out there a little bit on a bigger scale, mm-hmm. but I thought that's a good example of something not related to death and dying that you could come across in some settings. Wow, yeah, that's so interesting. And again, the the struggle with, you know, this patient doesn't really have the informed consent to know that they're taking this medication. A lot of things like that can happen in mental health too. 
You know, when, mm-hmm. when working in mental health, there's many times where, you know, we're forced to give a patient medications that they're not consenting to because they're acting out and being violent and to protect mm-hmm. the safety of the patient as well as the safety of those around them. You know, they're dosed up right. on on a cocktail of Benadryl, Ativan, and Geodon or Haldol, depending upon what medication of choice that facility uses. And there's definite side effects that can happen as a result Absolutely. with uh, yeah. medications like that. And I know of a situation, I'm actually from Alaska, and this is, you know, back in the day when we had the older neuroleptics, which caused a lot more side effects mm-hmm. than some of the newer ones with the tardive dyskinesia. And there was a patient that was forcibly medicated for her own safety and for the safety of others, and she developed irreversible tardive dyskinesia. So her jaw and was constantly moving in circles and her tongue was thrusting, and she actually was able to sue and win that lawsuit. So she was in a state facility against the state for forcibly medicating her. It was kind of interesting. But again, there's so many legal aspects, too, that sometimes can, yeah. don't you think that can kind of flow into some of these ethical situations where Absolutely. sometimes the crossover, you know, something can be legal but could be unethical, and that's always a hard, a hard yeah. thing. Yeah. And on the on the flip side, it could be ethical but not legal. Right. You know, like exactly. Withdrawing lots of support when somebody's yes. brain dead or something like that. Yes. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there's a struggle that definitely mm-hmm. happens in those situations, and the struggles that we go through, you know, as nurses during these types of situations can bring up difficulties in the module in regard to ethics in this class. We talk about moral distress. In fact, your collaboration cafe prompt is in regards to moral distress. And this occurs when a nurse's integrity or moral principles, standards of practice are compromised as a result of those external influences that are kind of outside of a nurse's control or perceived, Mm -hmm. perceives them as being out of his or her control. And that can definitely affect and impact coping mechanisms, even things such as self esteem, mm-hmm. your ability to care for your patient in a way because you're not feeling good. Burnout, it can lead to burnout. It can even cause some physical symptoms and other types of issues. So awareness of moral distress, implementation of strategies, I think, to prevent and address it because it, it happens. And so acknowledging yeah. that it's happening, I think, are really important to our health as nurses, to our job satisfaction, to retaining mm-hmm. nurses. And then mm-hmm. on the other flip side, if we're taking care of ourselves, we'll take better care of our patients. So, Mindy, in your experience, I know with hospice and all in your experience as a nurse, mm-hmm. were you faced with situations that caused moral distress for you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the one I always come back to the most is I was working hospice. I had a COPD patient in a facility and I had gotten a call from the facility. He wasn't doing well. I get there, you know, I knew exactly what he needed, breathing treatment. So I go to the nurse's desk to let the medication nurse know what all I needed to give this patient. And as I'm standing there waiting for her to bring back the meds so that I can go give them, Somebody comes back, I don't remember who it was that came back to me, but or maybe it was the office. My manager called me on my cell phone and said that I needed to leave the facility. And I was like, what are you talking about? And apparently the nurse or whoever called my manager after I asked for what meds I needed to give the patient and requested a different nurse. For whatever reason, they decided they did not like me (laughs) and wanted me to leave immediately. 
And I was so confused about what did I do so horribly wrong that you will not let me go help this patient. He can't breathe. He's miserable. He's struggling. And you dislike me so much that you won't let me help him. Wow. And so, I mean, it was an awful day. And, you know, it was one of those days, like, I'm almost getting emotional talking about it now. One of those hospice days that you just come home and you, my husband held me just while I cried because I couldn't do anything to help that patient. So that patient had to sit there and suffer while they tracked down another nurse, got them away from whatever they were doing, drive across town, go through all of that just because somebody personally had an issue with me that I had no idea there were any issues. So, right. yeah, you know, it's stuff like that, that it boiled down to politics. And that just, mm-hmm. there's just no need for all that. Later in my career, I've talked to, in different academic settings, psychiatry departments and some that even do studies of incivility and nursing. And some of the organizational psychology studies actually point to moral distress as being one of the reasons why us nurses aren't so nice to each other sometimes. It's because we get into this situation of moral distress and we're fighting with these issues inside of ourselves, and so we start Mm -hmm. lashing out at each other. And so it just kind of winds up into a vicious cycle. It's it's pretty sad. It's almost like misdirected anger. You know, you're projecting, you know, being a psych person, you know, just looking at it, you you project your own feelings of inadequacy and inferiority and all those Mm -hmm. things that boil up when you experience moral distress and you project that onto others because it's hard to deal with with situations right. like that. And um, because I know even for me with the situation that I mentioned, it was hard not to feel a little bit angry towards the physician, like thinking, okay, you know, geez, you could have handled this a little better, you know, could mm-hmm. you have been a little bit more kinder. And you have all these emotions, especially around death and dying. There's so much emotion that goes with it. And it's such a charged, I call it charged situations, you know, where it just can be anything can just set someone off. And I feel like when nurses are, and we're exposed to things like that all the time, doesn't matter what field mm-hmm. you work in, you don't have to work in hospice. I mean, we're faced with stuff like right. this in every yeah. aspect of nursing. And I do agree because it's always been a kind of a conundrum and why are nurses not more supportive of each other sometimes? And I think you're right. I think the moral distress mm-hmm. really adds mm-hmm. to that. So what are some things do you think we could do for moral distress? I know one of the big things that comes to mind for me is talking with someone about when you go through a difficult time, you know, a peer that you trust, even one of your leaders Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that you trust, a mentor, to really, to get out some of those feelings. Sometimes just talking about them, I think, can be helpful. Can you think of anything Mm -hmm. else that's helpful during these types of situations? I think the first step is to become aware of your emotions. Mm -hmm. You know, I've lived most of my life not necessarily aware of my emotions. So, you know, it was, it's been several years since I did hospice. And at that time of my life, I had young children at home and I hadn't really reflected too deeply. And I really didn't reflect deeply until the day came that I got a phone call from my brother. He was having a bad day. You know, he was really just needing to vent, whatever. And I said to him, you're going to have to call your therapist because I don't have time for this today. 
Mm-hmm. And I hung up the phone with him and I knew immediately this had gone too far. You know what I mean? I wasn't emotionally available for my children anymore. I had just put the walls up so high that nothing else was getting in because I had no emotional energy left. So I think the first step is figuring out how do you know you're emotionally okay? Like, what's mm-hmm. your barometer? So one way I know for myself that my stress level is either tolerable or not is my desire to be creative. So I like to do arts and crafts and create things and whatever. So if I get to the point where I have no desire to do anything artsy crafty, I'm way too stressed and I need to mm-hmm. refer to some of my healthy coping mechanisms, right? So we also have to consider what are our healthy coping mechanisms. It's not alcohol. It's not cigarettes. It's not food. We all have some unhealthy ones, so we have to make the conscious choices that I'm going to go do a healthy coping mechanism and try to work through this. That is so important, and I know recently, speaking of healthy coping mechanisms, I know one of the things when I get, you know, stressed in my job, or I even remember when I first started mental health nursing, and I had my own practice as a nurse practitioner, Mm -hmm. pediatric nurse practitioner, it was really, you hear so much yuck, you know, of what happens yeah. to people and it just, it isn't, it impacts you, especially yeah. I can be a sensitive person. So, you know, mm-hmm. to just hear that, all these stories of these beautiful souls that have had horrible experiences and horrific experiences and they tended to send me a lot of the post-traumatic stress cases and the anxiety cases, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they had things happen to them in their childhood or even mm-hmm. as they're older. But what helped me was having a a person that I could go and talk to about it. As soon as I started feeling just kind of, I could feel myself kind of shutting down and not, you know, when I'd come yeah. home, you know, how's your day? It was, you know, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> You know, that kind of thing. And that kind of was a signal to me like, oh, you know, I need to talk about it and I probably should go talk about it with someone. And even just little things like most recently, I got myself an Apple Watch because Uh it has a little app on there to remind me to breathe. You know, when when you get stressed out, oftentimes we forget to breathe and it's this little little thing buzzes on my wrist and it tells me, hey, you need to. It'll be so funny because I'll be really, you know, stressed out about something I'm doing and then my little watch will go off and I'm like, oh, thank you. I do need to do that. <laughs> Take a moment. Take yeah. a deep breath and calm myself down. And that has been really a, a godsend for me, my little Apple Watch, as well as tracking my activity. For those of you on the podcast, Mindy and I both work in online education. So we tend to sit a lot in our jobs as we're working on things. Yeah. And this little Apple Watch will tell me, hey, you need to stand up. <laughs> You've been sitting yes. for an hour. You need to get up and move. It doesn't actually say mm-hmm. that, but that's the message it's sending me when it buzzes me. And it says, time to get up and stand. Move yeah. around. And uh, yeah. those things are really important. You know, little things like that, mm-hmm. eating healthy. Nurses are mm-hmm. the worst at self-care, don't you think? Uh, we're the worst Absolutely. at taking care of ourselves. I remember getting UTIs, working on the floor, mm-hmm. wouldn't drink enough water, or I would hold my urine and I wouldn't go to the bathroom, you know, because mm-hmm. I was so busy. Yeah. My first nursing job at, right out of nursing school, I was working in the PACU. And, you know, super stressful, high intense area. I wasn't working with the most supportive team of nurses ever. And so I, I got real sick. And I was having a toothache. I went to the dentist and come to find out I had held my teeth clenched for so long 
that I had clotted off the salivary glands underneath my tongue and had oh gotten goodness. dehydrated. Oh my <laughs> this goodness. was simply cleansing my teeth. I was so tense and stressed <laughs> about being, wow. you know, working in the PACU. So, yes. yeah. So but little things like that. that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, that was a big thing. But, I mean, little things of relaxing, just taking a moment for yourself to mm-hmm. relax and relax your jaw. I always do that when I'm doing my deep breathing. But doing those self-care activities is really important to prevent yeah. the effects of stress of our jobs and the moral distress that can, that can impact us. But taking those moments for self-care where we take care of ourselves, we drink water, we do the things that we love to do, like your hobbies, your arts and crafts. That's something that's important Mm -hmm. to me too, Mindy, so I can totally relate to that. And Mm -hmm. eating healthy, getting enough sleep is really important. Sometimes that can be really hard for nurses, especially night nurses that have to work. I've been in places, especially for the state, where, you know, these nurses Mm -hmm. have to pull these double shifts, and it's, I don't even know how they do it. And, um... And so if you find yourself in those types of situations, super important to do self-care, get massages. Even if you don't feel like exercising, make yourself get up and move, move your body. That helps the natural serotonin form, which is your feel-good chemistry in your body that helps you feel better in your overall mood and feelings of well-being. And all those yeah. things are really important as we deal with stressful situations in our job. But I'm so excited that we we talked about this today. I think it's such an important aspect to nursing. And I'm glad we talked more even about how to prevent it with taking care of ourselves. Before we sort of wind up and conclude today, so let's kind of list them to help resolve issues with moral distress or even just stress with your job in general, making sure you're aware, aware of how how do you show stress in your body? How does your body show stress? Like an interesting one for me, you know how my body tells me I'm stressed? I get muscle twitches in my eye. Isn't that weird? My eye will just sit and I'll be like, oh my goodness. Okay, that for my whole life it has been that way. And Uh I know my husband does that. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My mm-hmm. daughter does it too, and and I don't know if it's because genetically that's something, but but she's the same way. So being aware super important, and one of the first steps to addressing it is to acknowledge that it's there. I think is really important. Right, Finding right. someone yeah. that you trust to talk to about it. Mm-hmm. Um, self care, doing good self care activities, eating healthy, sleeping, doing those things that are important to you, spending time with those that you love. Can you think of some other, is there anything that we missed that you can think of off the top of your head? The only thing I can think of off the top of my head is if you're not yet at a point where you're able to really assess yourself, um, because that does take some awareness and practice, Mm -hmm. um, you might pay attention to how your friends and family are responding to you. So typically, like you said earlier, you know, we tend to reflect back or we project onto others. So mm-hmm. if we're projecting our stress onto our loved ones and we're not realizing it, they may be reacting to our stress. And we may mm-hmm. be thinking, why are you acting that way? Well, they may be acting that way in response to how you're acting. <laughs> and That's you just right. don't realize it. Um, and so if you're having trouble with lots of people around you all of a sudden not treating you the same or not acting the same way towards you, it may actually be because they're reflecting to you what you're showing to them. So mm-hmm. that would be something else I might kind of pay attention to if you're not yet at that stage where you can assess yourself in the ways mm-hmm. that we've talked about. 
Yeah, and that is important because some people don't know. I remember when I was going through nursing school, I had anxiety attacks. I didn't know what they were. I thought my heart was wonky. And back then, they didn't really know what anxiety attacks were. They thought there was something wrong with my heart. So they put me on a beta blocker. Mm -hmm. I probably should have gone and, and seen somebody. But, you know, the doctor did ask me, are you stressed? And I'm like, no. I don't feel stressed. <laughs> well, when I when I looked back, I was taking eighteen credits in nursing school. Uh huh. A lot of credits. I had yeah. just gotten engaged to not the right person, and yeah. you know, and I was planning a wedding. It ended up we didn't end up together. Thank goodness. But at the time, I was like, no, I'm not stressed. You know, everything's going yeah. good. You know, and but later, I'm like, wow. You know, I was going yes. through a lot. I can't believe I said I wasn't stressed because I was totally yeah. under a lot of stress. And even good things that happen in your life, yes. change, change of anything, yeah. of any kind, whether it's good yeah. or bad, can, can be stressful. Exactly. Well, I've really appreciated our time together today. I love that you were able to come on and share. And I think this is such an important aspect to nurses, not only that we really pay attention to our ethics, and values and know what they are. And then when some of those get challenged, how do we deal with that? You know, when we experience moral distress, what are some things we can do so we don't take it out on each other in the nursing profession? And then even what we've done to address not only incivility, but ways we can care for ourselves. It's so important because if we don't care for ourselves, we can't care for our patients. Or our families. That's right. And they're just as important. So if not more so in priorities, our families, our world and our life. Thank you so much, Mindy. I so appreciate you coming on. And hopefully students, you've enjoyed this podcast. Hopefully it'll help you with your Collaboration Cafe prompt this week and spark some things in your life to think about and maybe ways that you can reduce some of the stress in your job and take better care of yourself. Thank you again, Dr. Mindy Thompson. We appreciate you coming on. And I look forward to seeing students on other podcasts. So aloha. Mm -hmm. Good luck to you in the rest of your educational journey. Thanks for having me, Tracy. Now that you've explored some important concepts related to your modules, if you have not done so already, please turn your attention to the course materials in your online course for additional application and practice of these concepts.